All right. I think I think I'm live. Hey guys. So um this is a casual stream. This is an anniversary stream. And yeah, my, my cat is <laughs> right here. Hey kitty. <laughs> this is probably not the video for you. Most I mean most people out there who might click on this video, it's probably not the video for you. It's just a casual anniversary, eight-year anniversary stream. I'll explain in a second. Um, but I just wanted to chat about some random things that I've been thinking about that I don't really want to make a video on. I don't want to spend all the time it takes and energy it takes, and I don't have the time and energy, especially the energy, uh, to do that. So I'm just going to casually chat about a couple things. I'm going to interact somewhat with the chat today as well. Uh, my name is Mike Winger. If you've never seen me before, this is the weirdest video for you to click. Um, Normally, I do content helping you learn how to think biblically about everything, uh, teaching verse by verse, which I'll be getting back to as soon as I'm done with my Women in Ministry series, as well as tackling tough issues within the Christian faith, as well as trying to defend the Christian faith, you know, intelligently, thoughtfully. That's my goal. That's my agenda there um, to, to everybody out there in the world, because I want you to know Jesus. I want you to believe in the risen Savior and the salvation that he brings and receive the forgiveness of your sins and have your life absolutely transformed as he's done for my life. So that's what I do. And it's eight years now that I've been uploading weekly content that, you know, how do you, how do I, you know, gauge when I started doing YouTube till now, when I started doing not just YouTube, but basically online ministry, because it, because we're now on a lots of platforms. There's radio stations that have Bible thinker content. There's, um, uh, podcast all over on just about every podcast platform that we we can get our access to. We're not on Sermon Audio because they charge a bunch of money for us to do that. And there's free platforms. And that's my agenda is to present all the content free um, on the website, BibleThinker.org and on, on other places I'm not thinking of right now. You know, we're on Facebook and Twitter as well. And actually of, of those, just, just so those, just so you know, if you're interested, I'm probably most active now on Twitter of all places for a number of different reasons. Um, at any rate, you can see me there. Just look up my name or Mike Winger, I, I, at Mike Winger and two eyes. And uh, there goes the cat. So, um, so this is going to be casual, just casual chat with y'all. I'm glad you guys are here. Thank you for the congratulations. Uh, eight years ago today, I uploaded my first weekly video. That is before that, I just dabbled. I just dabbled. Like, I'll tell you a little bit of the story of how I did this, why I got into doing online ministry. Um, I was... Uh, a youth pastor um, and doing full-time ministry, doing lots of things. Uh, I've done, uh, you know, you wear a lot of hats. Everybody who's in ministry knows this. You know, you, you you could give the title that you've got, but you end up wearing a lot of different hats in ministry. So I was doing a lot of various things. My title was youth pastor, but um, uh, but I was doing a lot, a lot of different stuff. Domestic violence counseling I did for a number of years. Uh, chaplain for the sheriff's department, among many. There's lots of us who would volunteer, which it's not as prestigious as it sounds, y'all. <laughs> I think a lot of pastors want to be chaplains so they could say they're a chaplain in the sheriff's department. It's not as prestigious as y'all think. Uh, but I uh, did that. Um, a number of other things at, at the church and involved in the church and organizing events and outreaches and missions trips occasionally, which is not something I'm particularly good at. Uh, but... I had this sense, and I mean, this is a rare thing for me, but I had this really strong sense, and I'm not exaggerating, I'm not trying to make a good story, that, but I had a good sen a sense that um, I was like, <laughs> there was something else I had to do that God was calling me to do, and this was the weirdest thing, and if I didn't do it, I was majorly missing out on God's calling for my life. Now, this was, I didn't have a YouTube thing going on, I, I didn't know, I didn't know what this was. But I, but I knew that it was not at Hosanna, which is the church I was at, right? I, I knew that it was not 
in regards to that church and that ministry I was already doing, which I was already doing full-time ministry. I was content. I wasn't feeling like, uh, like I need more. I just need more for like my own self-improvement. Um, some, sometimes our selfish ambition can cause us to try to do more ministry, but we're really just trying to validate ourselves. I'm not saying that that's true of, of people in general, but it can happen. And it wasn't that, um, it was really, I believe God showing me something, which is, which is not something I commonly say, um, or casually say, I really believe the Lord showed me that. So I started praying. I remember telling my, my wife, like if I, if I don't figure out what this thing is, then I'm, I, uh, I feel like I'm majorly missing out on God's calling for my life. And it, it didn't make any sense to me. Right. I didn't think it was insane. I just mean, um, I, I didn't look at my life and think something was missing. I was content. I was very content there. I, I'd for years, I'd done ministry for years, several, many years. And I, I didn't have this thought of like having this giant ministry and you know, that this will be, you know, like sometimes when you first start in ministry, you have those ideas. I, I just wanted to be faithful at that point and And that was enough. But, um, so I started doing online stuff. I just posted, uh, I went on GodTube and I posted on there and I posted on some other apologetic sites that kind of don't exist anymore. And, and then I did some research and I, I found out that YouTube was like the number one video platform as far as reach goes. And it was, my thought was if I could, it would be the hardest one to break through because there's, there's no Christian niche or niche at the time that just didn't really exist on YouTube. There's a lot of hostility to it. Um, but if, if hypothetically I could break through, it would be, I'd be able to reach so many people. And there was all these things that I was thinking, um, I'd like to share, uh, whether it's apologetics or theology stuff that just is often at the time not being talked about, but is actually very important. And so I addressed those things and dealing with cult groups and stuff like that. And I, I started targeting my teaching towards, uh, a larger audience, right? But at first I just dabbled and experimented. I put up a video here and there. I just threw up some content. Um, I have, by the way, I have lots of other things to talk about today. I'll, I'll t I want to talk about, I'll just give you a preview. Michael W. Smith, uh, removing his endorsement of the Passion Translation, <laughs> the SBC stuff that's going on with uh, Rick Warren, and they've just voted to, um, I guess, uh, label them as not in friendly cooperation with the SBC because of their ordaining uh, women as pastors. Um, there's an AI service in Germany. I just gathered some random things to chat with you guys about, some uh, 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 an controversies I've been involved in that I want to discuss. Um something I put on Twitter that I thought was funny that I'm going to share with you guys. And um, maybe if we get their analogies for the Trinity, we'll talk about some of that. So I'm just going to talk about some random things that I grabbed. And um, and I do see, I see you guys there in the chat. Um, and we're not doing a Q&A today. This is not a Q&A. So I, you may put your questions in. You're welcome to write anything you want in the live chat. I'm just saying I'm not gathering 20 questions. I'll just be interacting a little bit. So yeah, I, uh, I hope that it, this is something that you guys find enjoyable and interesting. And I see we have some trolls too, which is, you're always welcome. You're just not welcome to troll, <laughs> but you're welcome here. Okay. At any rate, um, I started posting, I, I put up some random stuff. The first video I put on YouTube, I don't, I don't know if it's even public anymore was I, I took a guitar and I showed how you, cause I, I would, I play guitar and I would teach basic guitar skills uh, to people. I, I showed how to get a pick out of a guitar. This was an experiment to like, see what's it like when you upload a video, you know, that kind of thing. But what happened eight years ago today is. I uploaded my first weekly video because my pastor came and said, Hey, uh, why don't you do a Sunday night service? We don't have anything going on Sunday nights. We haven't for a long time. Why don't you start doing a Sunday evening service? He goes, teach, you know, teach whatever you want, do whatever you want with the service. Just go for it. And I was like, okay. So I taught the first study about what the Bible teaches about the conscience. 
And in that study, I said, hey, guys, um, I, you know, I've got this video camera. If somebody would volunteer to run the camera for me, they can we can record these and I'll put them online, too. And then my friend, Cernan Aguilar, who who volunteer was like, yeah, I can run the camera for you. So the next week I re- he ran the camera. I recorded a video also on the conscience and what the what the uh, the scripture says about conscience differences and Romans 14 and all that. And we recorded and put it up online. And then I did that more and more. And so I did a couple, the next couple of videos were about like how to understand the Old Testament law, which I think a lot of Christians need. Now I'm thinking this, this could impact people around the world. Here's something a lot of Christians are confused about. Let's talk about it. So I did a couple of videos on that. I did a series on uh, homosexuality. Uh, and I remember people thinking, Michael, I'm telling me, pastors telling me, um, why are you even bothering to talk about these issues? You know, I did a series, a series on Catholicism. Then I did um, other series and topical videos. Then I did the book of Romans and, uh, and a, a series I've done on penal substitutionary atonement, all these different things. And it just continued to grow and grow and grow. And God really blessed it. And I'm just, I'm amazed, amazed right now. Cause this is not an entertainment channel. Like you guys don't watch this for entertainment. Now you may find it in some sense, entertaining or enjoyable to watch, but, but that's not why you're watching, right? Like there's other things you'd probably watch if you just wanted to laugh or just wanted to smile or be entertained. And so it's so exciting to me that I can just have a genuine, it, let, me, let me put it this way, in my mind, not watered down online ministry that's just straight about the truth of scripture and the truth of Jesus Christ. And I, I love that. Very excited about that. Um, so that that was eight years ago. And um I, fi- I put a note in my phone to remind me because I always forget these things. And this time around, I thought I'd do a little a little thing. But here's something we haven't done in a long time. <laughs> here's something we haven't done in a really long time. Here's the here's the cat cam. You see that? There's the kitty cam. And I, I'm hand-holding it so I can get in there. Oh, yeah. How you doing, potato? <laughs> anyway, there you go. Something uh, you guys haven't seen for quite a while. Um, she just recently started sitting back, you know, in her old spot in the chair there. Maybe she'll do it more and you guys will get more uh, cat interruptions. And I know you, some some of you guys hate cats. And uh, I think that's funny, too. <laughs> so it's win-win. I please the cat people and then I I, I, I get a, uh, a little kick out of irritating the, the cat haters. <laughs> but uh, I'm not, I mean, I'm not like head over heels over cats or anything. I mean, I don't know why anybody thinks that. Uh, kind of weird. I like dogs too, though, by the way. Okay, so let's talk about the uh, Michael W. Smith. All right. So, um, well, first off, let me just jump in the chat. Here's something I never do. I'm actually reading the chat a little bit. Um, Peter says he's been listening to the Romans series recently. I'm really grateful for that, Peter. I, I hope that's a huge blessing to you. Um, I love, love the book of Romans so much. It's so good. I, I do encourage you, don't let me be the only person you ever hear teach the book of Romans. Like, don't let, don't, you don't want to do that. You, you want to have other teachers too, but I hope that it adds a lot to your knowledge, understanding of scripture. Um, Sherry Delia says she just turns, tunes in to see Moxie. That's the only reason why she comes. <laughs> I like that. You know, well, then you you are a very patient person, Sherry, because it's been a while since you got to see her. Um, yeah. All right. So let's let's look at um, this. Is that working? All right. There it is. Okay. Except you don't have me on the screen for some reason. You should. There we go. Okay. So <laughs> this is this is this is Mika, the other cat. Speaking of cat. 
stuff. Um, I, she was just looking at me funny the other day. Um, and so I took a picture of it and I put it on Twitter. I didn't say anything. I didn't make this caption. Somebody else, uh, Uncle Benny here, took this uh, picture of Mika and <laughs> added this added this little uh, thing to it, captioned it, turned into a meme. I thought it was pretty funny. So there you go. When someone endorses the Passion Translation, that's, that's how it feels. So speaking of endorsing the Passion Translation, uh, Michael W. Smith, I just recently found out that he had endorsed the Passion Translation. Now, this happened like over a year ago, like sometime in 2022, I think it was. And I could be wrong on the exact date, but it was like over a year ago. His endorsement for the Passion Translation went up on the Passion Translation website. And I hadn't looked at that site in a long time. I don't really spend a lot of time thinking about the Passion typically, although recently I have. I'll tell you more about that in a minute. Um, so I tweeted about this topic on Twitter and I put it on Facebook as well. And I was like, hey, and I try to be gracious about it because I'm not. Now, there's plenty of Michael W. Smith haters that came out and I'm, I'm just not one of them. I don't I don't know a whole lot about Michael W. Smith, but I don't have some agenda there at all. Um, when in doubt, I treat everybody as a brother. Okay, so um, I just tweeted very, very hopefully, very honestly, but graciously. I really hope Michael W. Smith reconsiders this endorsement. Maybe he doesn't realize that a lot of scholars are fairly unanimous in saying that this is a not a good translation. It's not reliable. And then I linked like I, I, I didn't link because when you put links on Twitter, it reduces or anywhere, Facebook or something, it reduces your reach. But I talked about the scholars a little bit. So I tweeted this out and then I put it on Facebook and then some news, this is weird. Okay, imagine this is you, like you tweet something and then news agencies like make articles about the topic. Hey, Michael W. Smith has endorsed the Passion Translation. Um, a lot of scholars have problems with it. You know, here's a tweet by, you know, Mike Winger who thinks this and it's that it's just a little surreal. But here's the cool thing. Michael W. Smith's endorsement was then pulled off the Passion Translation website. And we can only guess as to why, but his endorsement was pulled off. Now my guess, okay, this is a guess, this is conjecture is that not that he was bullied, not that people threatened to kill him or something ridiculous like that. And then he's like, pull it off. I can't handle the heat. Okay. I don't think it was that. I think he's been in the public eye long enough that this would not phase him. Um, I think personally, my guess is that he had done an endorsement because he he's a musician. He's poetic. He read it. He's like, wow, it's beautiful and poetic. He thought it was reliable. He heard things about it, probably from Brian Simmons or, 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 or those who got their, their ideas from him about how reliable it is. And then he wrote an endorsement when it came to his attention that there were so many people saying this is actually not a good translation. It's unreliable in these different ways. It doesn't really have the respect of Christian evangelical scholars who would share your views in all these other areas. They would say this is a problem. He then pulled the endorsement. This means that somebody, him or someone from his agency or whatever, had to call up Broad Street Publishing or Brian Simmons and tell them pull the endorsement down off the Internet. I no longer want to be seen as endorsing this. Um, I, okay, I obviously, I don't want to be childish here, but I was very happy to see this. This is a good thing, not because I want to stick it to Brian Simmons, because that's not it, but because I want to help people be aware that this is a questionable and problematic translation. And the translator is very problematic as well, which we'll talk about that in a second. Um, and so this is like the tide has shifted. You know, for a while, the Passion Translation, it's got it got its roots into the sort of hyper-charismatic area. Then he started changing the way he talked about it. And he started trying to push it mainstream and become, he wants it to become the new NIV. I believe I heard him say something like that in an interview. I don't have a clip for you, so feel free to doubt that. But he wants this to be a mainstream translation. That much is very clear. 
And so he started softening a lot of the hyper charismatic claims about it um, and trying to appear very mainstream. And this is why the website, the Passion Translation website, is like so distorted. Like the the things it says in the FAQ section about the translation are, are not accurate, but they're also not consistent with stuff Brian Simmons was saying in churches, in hyper charismatic churches before this. And I will share clips on that in the future. So um, uh, the, uh, oh, just a sec. There we go. So anyway, this is this is super cool. So Michael W. Smith pulls his endorsement, the Bible Gateway. They also took the Passion Translation off their website. Bible Gateway has tons of different translations. Like they have like over 90, I think, English Bible translations. They pulled the Passion. Now, did I tell them to pull the trash? The trash. Sorry, it's my Freudian slip. The trash. The Um That was not intentional at all. But it was it was funny, but it was not meant. Okay, so Bible Gateway pulled TPT, and we don't actually know why, because Bible Gateway didn't say why. When asked to comment, they go, we, 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 we occasionally make changes to translation stuff, you know, in accordance with our business uh, business goals, whatever that means. Like, okay, so that, like, as vague as possible. Uh, Michael W. Smith didn't say why he pulled it, but but they did. And I think it's probably a very good sign that the wider world of Christians is becoming aware that this is a sectarian translation that's kind of weird. In fact, uh, another scholar, Mark Ward, is about to put up a, tra- a video soon, an, an article and a video, uh, talking about the Passion Translation, among others, as, quote, crackpot translations. Like he categor- And this is a guy who accepts all sorts of translations, even the ones you wouldn't like. He probably is like, no, that's a pretty good translation, but not the Passion. He's like, oh, that's a crackpot translation. Think about that for a second. What does it take for scholars who are generally very accepting of a large number of translations to call something not just questionable, but a crackpot? Okay. This means that the wider Christian world is becoming aware of this stuff. Um, So yeah, there is, however, a coming video I'm going to do. I'll tell you this. Something's coming. Um, I've been, and I started prepping this like, like two years ago when I was pulling all these clips, trying to find Brian Simmons talking about the translation. I also found a lot of other clips of Brian Simmons, author of the Passion Translation, saying a lot of other things uh, that were more about his agenda, more about him, his training and what he, the training he didn't really have. He misrepresented his training in many cases um, and his, his uh, preparation and stuff like that. Him talking in, in some places about how it's, it's, it's not an inspired translation or something like that. But then in other places he talks like God is breathing into him and he's breathing out revelation as he translates other places where Brian talks about his Christology and, his idea of the second coming and it's weird you know he thinks that um that christians by and large don't understand revelation yet but but you have to have the spirit of of revelation to understand revelation and god gave brian the spirit of revelation so he translates revelation and he then teaches on revelation and then you can really understand what it really means where you become a a company the christ company where you're now it's it's difficult i don't want to overstate it but he talks about it as though you are becoming we are becoming christ as though, okay, so it's difficult because sometimes Brian says contradictory things. So for instance, he'll go, God breathed in me and gave me revelation so that as I, as I write, it's, um, it's, it is revelation. As I translate, it is revelation to God's people. So there's a God inspiring through his breathing. Okay. That is literally what, you know, second Timothy three sixteen says about scripture. It's, it's God breathed. Okay. We use that to talk about it being inspired. So he's saying his translation is God breathed. But then he goes on to say, but I'm not saying it at all, that it's inspired like the apostles in their writings. 
Okay, so these are actually contradictory claims. So what it is, is I'm going to make a really strong claim, then I'm just going to say something that contradicts it. Now you have to kind of guess what I'm talking about. Um, it's like that with the Christ stuff. He'll say, I'm not saying that, you know, we replace Christ or something like that, but we become the, the second coming of Christ. <laughs> You're like, what does that mean? So I'll just share this stuff for people to be aware. I think it's pretty important. Um, I don't know when it'll happen. I'm mostly consumed with prepping for the women in ministry video that's coming. I'm so sorry it's taken so long. Okay, just bear my heart to you guys. Um, yeah, Faith Cooper says that Brian Simmons stuff sounds like automatic writing to me. It, it does kind of sound like that. Actually, Faith, here, before I talk about women in ministry, I have a, a clip of Brian Simmons talking about how his study notes are things that he thinks God is revealing to him as he translates, and they're not always revealed from his study. They're often just something that he says, quote, comes to him. And so... He has a study note about, I'll, I'll have a clip on this that I'll share with you at some point. Maybe it's a month, maybe it's a year, maybe it's two weeks. I don't know. We'll see. Um, it's not my main focus. But um, Simmons says like, oh yeah, there's a study note in his Bible on um, on how the it was it took 48 years to build the temple and humans have 48 chromosomes. And so uh, I think it was chromosomes he was talking about. So humans have 48 chromosomes and therefore the the temple that he's building is us. And this person was like, who's interviewing him is like, Brian, that insight, you know, I don't have all those degrees and I don't really know all that stuff. And I don't really have to study the ancient languages. So I'm so glad for your study notes because they have such insights. She's thinking it's something he got from research. And he goes, oh yeah, God just kind of gave that to me. <laughs> um, and his study notes get printed with every passion translation to my knowledge. Like if you get the passion translation, you get Brian Simmons interpretations along with it. Anyway something to be aware of like you said it sounds it sounds it's a problem it's a problem um there's more uh, why why would i do this why highlight brian simmons um it's not as though i'm throwing a rock hitting some random person and making a video about them this is a guy who's been going on tour telling everybody about his private secret revelations who's made a bible translation he's trying to shop out to the whole world he's already made millions upon millions of dollars from it who is presenting himself as a prophet, as a, as someone who's bringing new revelation, new revelation about scripture and even in a translation of scripture to God's people, uh, I'm simply showing that you can't trust him. Why? Because you can't trust him. <laughs> That's pretty important. In the Passion Translation Project, the Passion Project I did, I focused on the translation and tried to avoid asking the scholars about the translator, except about mo mostly one thing. Uh, does this, does it seem like his claims that God showed him this stuff? Does it seem like that's true? Like that kind of thing. Um, in this last video that I'll do for it, I will talk about issues with Brian Simmons that we should be aware of. But this is a response to a man who's going all over the world and trying to tell the whole Christian world that he has revel new revelation for the church. Okay. Yeah. He threw a rock at the world, at the world and, and at the world of Christians and we're trying to evaluate it and see what he's done. At any rate, that's the update on that. Um, so, uh, so yeah, did, I'm going to, I'm going to read your guys chat again here. Let me see. Um, Carissa says it's her 10 year wedding anniversary. Well, congratulations to you. And I think you said Nick is your uh, husband's name. So congratulations to both of you guys. I hope you're having a good day. Hope you have something fun planned. Yeah. Um, on my chat, I keep seeing Freudian slip. What was that? Oh, dragon sword. I, I, I meant to say passion translation, but I was talking too fast. And I said, passion trans, no, I said passion. What did I say? The passion, tra 
No, the trashin. That's what I said. The trashin. <sighs> Oops. 46, not 48. Yeah, I got the years, the year wrong. How many years? 46 years to build a temple. 46 chromosomes. Thank you for that correction. Gron Ritter. Ground Ritter. Okay, cool. So yeah, um, let's uh, let's talk about the women in ministry thing. Marie Reagan says eagerly awaiting the completion of the women in ministry series. Me too. I I'm genuinely, you guys. I'm embarrassed and sorry it's taken me so long. Um, I don't like talking about this. I just generally don't want to talk about it, to be honest, for a number of reasons. But um, I've been so slowed down through having what appears to be long COVID that. Um, if you may not think so, because maybe you're trying to evaluate how I'm doing by the energy level I present on camera. Well, that is absolutely me trying to be at my best. And there's times I have to cancel streams and put things off because I couldn't even do that. Basically, um, the two things came together that have delayed me massively on this woman in ministry final video. Uh, well, final, there's going to be two more videos. But anyway, on this one on First Timothy 2, one is long haul issues that I didn't expect, didn't even know what was happening to me for a few months, but that has been ongoing, still ongoing. Okay. And it, it definitely affects me a lot. Appreciate your prayers. God's sovereign in it. Totally trust his will. It's delayed me massively. Okay. So I can't do work as much, but another issue on top of that, cause I'd still be done with it. If it wasn't for this other issue, this is probably even, maybe even the bigger one. I don't know. The amount of hard topics to uncover and unpack and study into is so big on first timothy 2 without a doubt it is it is like there's more stuff written and debated and issues on this passage where it says paul says i don't allow a woman to teach or have authority over a man that section along with things like yet she shall be, she she shall be saved through childbearing what is that talking about um all those sorts of things so that is so hotly debated it's probably the most clear seemingly seemingly clear passage that says like you know this woman in ministry thing goes complementarian or patriarchal one of those it's not egalitarian and so tons of ink has been spilled egalitarians don't even agree on their approach to the passage one will take this path through the evidence and they go therefore egalitarian another one takes this path therefore i'm egalitarian but they don't even agree on their path so within themselves they're not they're, they're like self-contradictory interpretations um so it becomes very challenging I'm literally emailing yet last night, uh, yesterday, or I guess over the past two days, emailing a scholar who did a translation of the Gothic translation of 1 Timothy 2.12 from like the 4th or 5th century. Um, I'm emailing him because he wrote a dictionary interpreting the Gothic word that is the word authority in there, or authentain in Greek. Well, I got to find out, when you wrote this dictionary entry, did you mean this or did you mean that? Because this one egalitarian scholar is saying you meant this and they're using it as part of their case for this bigger overall thing. So I'm emailing him and then he's emailing me back and I'm translating his message. I'll share all this when I do the video, but this is like hours and hours and hours spent on a tiny piece of one small chunk, of one small chunk of a large debate over just one of the words in one of the verses that we're discussing today. Yeah, I'll probably, it'll probably be a long video. So anyway, that's just kind of how it's going. Um, yeah, welcome. If you guys are just joining the stream, this is just a casual chat to celebrate uh, eight years of making regular content online. Um, it's amazing what the Lord has done. Uh, and you know, I, I don't share online usually the testimonies and the stories people send of the impact this ministry has. Um, I, I often feel weird because I don't, when people are like, Mike, you've impacted, I don't really totally i mean you understand like you'd probably feel the same way is that's a little bit like odd or awkward it's more this god's word is so good that when it is just defended and explained 
it radically transforms people's lives because it, it like Psalm 119 is true, right? That his words are pure. They're good, good words, you know, that you can, you can make your way clean by taking heed according to his word, that you, you can be wiser than the ancients. You can, you, there's all these, you correct your own way that there's so much benefit in scripture and in God's word that having a ministry that's focused on just explaining, defending, um, and then answering tough questions about scripture is of course going to impact people's lives because it could be me. I could be the same guy working just as hard trying to do that with the Quran and it's not going to have that effect because the Quran is not God's word. See, it's scripture that gets all the credit. So, um, yeah, Michael Singh says, Mike makes long videos. <laughs> one, I, I don't know. Will I beat my record of a six hour video? I don't know. I hope not. <laughs> I hope not, but it might happen. I'll move as fast as I can, but the amount of content is, oh, it's crazy. Okay, let's talk about the SBC. The SBC, the, the Southern Baptist Convention. Okay, I'm not Southern Baptist. I don't have a ton of opinions about this. They, um, But I wanted to mention one thing that relates to my studies in women in ministry, which I very much care about and have, do have a lot of opinions about, of course. Um, Rick Warren, uh, for those who don't know the story, here's my short rendition. I hope I can give you an accurate overview. He stepped down and he ordained two people, or, or I don't know how long ago they were ordained, but he appointed two people to replace him, a husband-wife team who were both pastors. Andy Woods, his wife's name, who escapes me now. Again, I've never, I don't know much about the, the Saddleback. I don't pay attention. Okay, but I know that he pointed to, and then this started like a whole discussion. The SBC is like saying, hey, um, you know, you're appointing women pastors, and this is this is not according to our own policies. Like, read our Baptist faith and message from from 2000 or something like that. And basically, this is an agreement amongst our denomination that you, we don't do this. And so they were went through a vote process to say, hey, should we actually say that Saddleback is no longer part of the bigger? group at the SBC, I guess there's smaller groups within that maybe he's still part of, kind of like we have the a federal government and a state governments. They have like these sep these different sort of realms. Of, I don't know, man. I'm, I was Calvary Chapel, right? We're about as organized as a group of cats. So, <laughs> so, so yeah, we don't know a whole lot about that. Um, at any rate, they just voted to say you know, Saddleback and I guess two other churches, you're, you're not in friendly cooperation. Now, some say this means they disfellowshipped them. I think that's an unfair term because they're not saying you are out of Christ or you you can't even fellowship with us. Um, like a, a Baptist could fellowship with someone who's not a Baptist, right? You wouldn't say when a Baptist tells a Presbyterian, you're not, you're not a Baptist, that they are therefore disfellowshipping the Presbyterian. So that's not really fair. They're saying you, you're not you're not Southern Baptist, at least this group of people. So here's a few interesting things about this. Um, I've been seeing, whether I like it or not, social media posts by Rick Warren, who has been talking publicly. He's trying to he's trying to change the culture. He's trying to change the SBC. He wants them all to become egalitarian. It's, it seems, but his case in the SBC is not become egalitarian. It's just just don't kick us out because we disagree with you on this tiny, tiny, tiny little issue. Um, that's how his case goes, whether you agree or not, you know, and what I've noticed, here's how it relates to the women ministry stuff. A couple things. What I've noticed is, um, Rick Warren says that he came to his views on women in ministry because he, he, over 50 years, he never did his own exegetical work. Catch that? His own exegetical work on the passages in question. And he finally did. And he was like, wow, we've been getting it wrong this whole time. This is actually, I'm, I'm more egalitarian. Now, how egalitarian is he? 
I don't know. In one breath, it sounds like he thinks only men can be elders, but women can be appointed as pastors. They just can't be like the lead pastor. And another breath, but I've never heard an egalitarian who has that view. Okay, so I'm not saying they don't exist. Okay, I'm just saying everybody I know who's a public proponent of egalitarianism, they don't have that view. They think women in any and every position know no limits or else you're not egalitarian. By nature, that's not egalitarian. I think Rick seems like he's, maybe he's more egalitarian than he's letting on. I don't know. Anyway, that's conjecture. You could probably, probably should ignore it. At any rate, so Rick Warren comes out um, and he says it's exegesis that led him down this road, but he doesn't provide any, any thorough exegesis. He has a few talking points about peripheral passages on the topic of women in ministry. And I'm not saying they're not important. You guys know my series. I go through all of them. Um, I'm saying they're peripheral, meaning they're not directly about the topic. And so he does things like, like N.T. Wright does, where he suggests that like the women, women being appointed to tell the disciples that Jesus has risen is something like being apostolic or being ordained as preachers to men um, (laughs) in a way that would, would mean pastoral ordination and stuff like that. This kind of thing where it's sort of like this, you're really stretching here. Um, And I have video content on all those verses. I've, I've taught through it all in my series. But what Rick has not done was present anywhere, any of his exegesis of the actual main passages people tend to go to, like 1 Timothy 2, the one I'm preparing for right now. I don't know what Rick thinks about this. He says he did the exegesis, but he hasn't presented it, as far as I know, anywhere. I went online asking, does anybody know where Rick Warren talks about his exegesis? I'll reference it in my next video. I'm just looking for where he talks about it. So here's the weird thing. Rick says, I got there through exegesis. But the way he's trying to get other churches there is through rhetoric. And this is the part I really want to highlight. I don't know if anybody's talking about this. Maybe Rick will present his exegesis. I'm not saying he doesn't have it. Okay, he will. And he'll probably end up being like, I agree with Lynn Kohick or Linda Belleville or, you know, Philip Payne or somebody else, right? Uh, I think Gordon Fee was right about 1 Corinthians here. And uh, whatever it is, that's fine. Um, and when he does, then I can be aware of it. But it'll be too late. My study, My series will be done already. But but that's not what he's doing here. He says, I got there through exegesis. He offers really shallow and to be honest, poor overviews of peripheral passages on women in ministry in interviews. He dodges the main ones and he simply says, oh, I know those passages. I've studied those. There's explanations for that. But he's trying to influence all of the churches around the world to follow him as well. He's not just saying, don't divide on this issue. No, he's saying, guys, get on board with me on this issue. We are effectively uh, stripping all these women of ministry that, you know, 50% of the women in SBC are being, are being kept from, you know, doing the, the full, all the fullness things that God calls them to do. Even though most of the women in the SBC would say, no, we're not Rick, stop speaking for us. <laughs> it's, it's, which is really ironic. Uh, at any rate, instead Rick goes around with rhetoric. So he goes around and he's calling Rick Warren, who I thought was like really, really super unity guy, right? Like he says things about the Pope and I'm like, dude, I know you were looking for unity, but you said some weird stuff. Um, Rick Warren, Mr. Mr. Rick Warren on the topic of homosexuality, while it seems he holds to a biblical view, and I'm very grateful for that, he he does it in an, in as diplomatic a way as possible, right? Where he says things like, yes, well, I, of course, I'm on record saying that I don't think homosexuality is God's best. He doesn't say homosexual sin is a a sign of the depravity of man, like Romans 1 talks about, or that homosexual sin, homosexual behaviors, not identity, behaviors, the identity is like a whole confusion we have to dispel, but behaviors 
are themselves a rebellion against God's very design. They're hurtful and harmful. Sexual sin by its nature is a worse kind of sin than many others because it's sin against your own body. He doesn't say any of that. He goes, I don't, I think it's not God's best. But when he comes to women in ministry, he's putting on Twitter the most, like the strongest worded stuff I've seen from him, really ripping on anybody who disagrees with him. And he's like, well, you know, the people in the SBC, the SB, here, here's the message I got from Rick Warren. The SBC is dying. The SBC is, the people voting against him are, um, are fighters in a pejorative sense. They're just the fighters of the SBC. And eventually he's going to, he's going to win and be right in the end. He said in an interview that, and this is just, this is all public. Okay. This is not private. I'm not telling you about some private conversation. This is stuff he put out there in public for everybody to see. And I want you to understand the nature of this because this relates to the whole debate of women in ministry. Um, this is, by the way, this is me rambling. If you guys like these kind of videos, maybe one day I'll do another one. Let me know. Um, occasional just rambly video where I just glance at the chat and talk about a few issues I've been thinking about that I don't want to make a whole video on that's careful. Um, yeah. In fact, here's LP Harris who says she's an SBC woman. And if the denomination went egalitarian, she wouldn't call herself SBC. So like, to be aware, egalitarian, sometimes you're, you're like, we're, we're delivering you women from all this oppression. And women are like, stop it. No, you're not. The, the vast majority of the SBC women represented, at least by, who are represented by this vote, uh, disagree with you on that. And so it's, it's a little weird. Um, but Rick Warren, he's saying all these things. He, t he says in an interview, he doesn't need the SBC, right? Most Saddleback members wouldn't even know they're SBC, right? He doesn't need the SBC, but the SBC needs his, and I think if I get this right, his 6,000 plus purpose-driven churches. I don't think he called them his. I think he called them the, right? The 6,000 plus purpose-driven churches. I think it was the number was 6,000. So this means that there's a huge group of churches that are aligned with Rick Warren, that if they kick out Saddleback, they're effectively losing these churches. That's the impression. So you had the impression going into this vote that the SBC, or if you're listening to Rick and you believe him, that there's basically meanies who are kind of oppressing women who are like the, the effectively there's a loud minority and just Rick Warren's churches alone that agree with him. There's so many that SBC, the SBC can't afford to remove them as uh, as, as being part of it. Then the vote happened and the vote, the vote, which is people messengers from all these churches that are in the SBC, they get a vote. It was something like around 10,000 people voted and like, Something like 84, 90%. What was the percentage? Just maybe someone in the chat, you can give us the percentage. The number of people that voted to remove Saddleback was overwhelming majority. Now, think about this. Here's, here's the example of rhetoric. Rhetoric says, the SB, we don't need the SBC, but they need all these 6,000 plus churches that are in agreement with me on this topic. Because if they're not in agreement, then how, why are you bringing them into this issue, right? Yeah, I think it was 6,000, right? Maybe you guys can fact check me on this. Put it in the chat if I got something wrong there. You guys can, someone could find the quote. I could Google it. I, I saw it and was like, he said what? Um, but the vote, Rick Warren got just over 1,000 people voting in his favor, not to agree with him on egalitarian views, but to not remove them from the denomination. If he has 6,000 churches that are all like threatening to leave the SBC, where are the messengers they sent to vote? Why, why doesn't Rick Warren have at least 6,000 votes? Because he's using rhetoric. And, and this is the problem with rhetoric is it, it presents things wrong. So uh, Jimmy says, a few people, Matt Davis, thank you guys. 
you say it was 88% is the number who voted to remove Rick. So 12% voted to leave them in, which doesn't even mean they're egalitarian. It just means they don't want to remove them from the SPC. Again, I'm not SPC. I'm not going to comment on this. I think that they're holding to truth when they when they stand their ground on this topic. I don't, I, I'm not settled on the issue of whether they should have done this or not. I, I lean in favor of it, but I don't want to, I don't want to comment on like say this was right that they did because I just don't know much about it, the SBC and the politics and the nature of big denominations. I've never made decisions for whole groups of churches like that. I don't really know all the thoughts and ins and outs. Um, I probably know how I would have voted. Um, you probably know how I would have voted, but, but, um, but at any rate, uh, you know, who knows whether that was the right move or not. Time will tell. Um, I tend to think so, but I could be wrong anyway. Um, Sarah Zimmerman says, play your guitar or I quit. <laughs> it's going to be tough. We're going to lose a third of our workforce here at Bible Thinker. <laughs> um, so, um, at any rate, the, uh, the rhetoric is too strong. Rick Warren says it's exegesis that got him there, but he seems to think rhetoric is what's going to get everybody else there. What does that tell you? I don't know what it tells you. It tells me something's wrong here. Why did you not present the exegesis? Do you think it's something people won't listen to? Do you think it's something that's so complicated? Maybe you think it's right, but it's so complicated it'll go over their heads. Maybe you think uh, it's right, but it but it won't be persuasive to people. And what really is the thing is rhetoric. And so he's Rick Warren turned into this rhetoric machine. Like I remember thinking, in all honesty, is he okay? Like it's just as weird that he's being so vitriolic about all these issues. Like I I've never known him to be like that. I don't know him well, but it does seem weird. Like, is he okay? Is something wrong? Is something going on in his, in his own life that's like, maybe there's a hard time going on and it's, and it's coming out in a lot of this sort of fighting, uh, fighting mode. You know, I don't know. I don't know. At any rate, here's a skill you need to have. And I said all that to kind of come to this. <laughs> Other people are telling me to play the guitar. Okay, I'll play the guitar a little bit. But I still don't have a whole nail on this finger. I'll tell you that makes it really weird. Because it's not the same to try to play guitar with missing a, a nail. Because um, I smashed it. I, I'm pretty sure I broke my finger. I just didn't go to the doctor. But um, again, extremely manly. All right. <laughs> so manly, it's ridiculous. So um, uh, obviously, obviously, that is the measure of manliness. Um, so what was I saying? There was something important. Oh, yeah, it was the whole point of all that, all that rambling I just did is to say this. When you're listening to topics, any topic, but right now, women in ministry, learn to, in your head, separate rhetoric from exegesis. you got to just separate the two. And if now maybe you believe the rhetoric, maybe you don't, but at least do this one process. Pull, Take everything they said for their 30 minutes, 10 minutes, 5 minutes, an hour, whatever they said. Pull out all the rhetoric that's pure rhetoric, right? That's like, well, you're oppressing. Okay, all those, all those things. Set it to one side and now look at the exegesis that's left, the actual Bible study part that's left. And ask yourself, how much substance is there over here? Because that one move will change the way you evaluate everything. I look at Rick Warren's rhetoric and, and it just, it all gets put in the rhetoric category to me. It's a big bucket. And then I look and I go, how much exegesis is left and how good is it? And I go, Ugh, I hope he offers more than that because that was not very good. Now there's plenty of egalitarian exegesis out there, but Rick Warren's uh, is, um, well, I don't think it's good. I, I think that I've demonstrated that egalitarian exegesis is worse than I expected, actually. I thought it would be better. Um, and you'll see more when we do the next video on First Timothy. All right, here is a guitar. I don't play this guitar very often nowadays. Is it in tune? Ew, oh 
almost. It is a little out of tune. I'm not going to try to fix that. So, um, yeah. I'm afraid to play any songs that you know. Man, I gotta, like... I gotta, like, start playing guitar more. It's been a while. <laughs> that was as the deer. I'm, you know, if, if I sing... Like copyright signals go out to the world and then a video gets problem problem issues and I just have to delete sections of it. You guys probably didn't come here just for uh, guitar stuff, or maybe you did. Some of you were like, just play guitar, Mike. That's all you should ever do. I'm not that good of a guitar player. And uh, you would get bored of it pretty quick. One of my original songs. Oh, man. I'm not going to sing. I'm not warmed up. I, know, I, don't, I, should, I, have a I have a thousand excuses why. It's just how it is. Yeah, but you guys can check out my music if you want. Um, uh, there's a playlist um, on YouTube somewhere if you can find those. There's hard to find playlists, but you can also go to BibleFinger.org. There's actually a little under like sort of like uh, topics or sections or whatever. There's something there with some worship songs I've written that you guys can check out, and you're welcome to do that. And In honor of worship leaders everywhere, I just played the four chords. <laughs> All right. So a cool story how I got that guitar. Do you guys know this? Um, I uh, I was borrowing a buddy's. I had a really janky guitar that was so the intonation was so off. I couldn't use it for leading worship. I just practiced with it. Um, I didn't have any money to buy a guitar and my buddy would let me borrow his $3,000 Martin and I would leave worship with it. Well, at some point after like years, he's like, Hey Mike, I want my guitar back. So I gave it back and then I had like no guitar to play with. And I was using my janky one and the intonation was so bad. Guitar players will get this. I had to put the capo on the first fret, right? And then tune the guitar down half a step just so that I could, uh, have better intonation because the distance between, you know, the 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 what's it called the the nut the um i think it's called the nut which is this this piece usually it's bone or plastic on the guitar anyway the distance between that and the fretboard was so big because it was just a cheap guitar that it like threw off all the intonation um at any rate i remember praying this is one of the only times i've ever done this where i just prayed like lord i just pray that you would give me a guitar i, I never asked this kind of thing lord you know i just need it for ministry i pray you just provide for me a guitar within a week my, 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 my old pastor, pastor Gary Ansdell comes up and hands me this guitar and he goes, Mike, can you check out this guitar for me? Uh, somebody I know they're like, their dad passed away and he had this guitar in the garage or in the, in the closet or something. 
can you check it out to see if it's valuable because I, I might buy it, you know? And I was like, sure. So I take it and I check it out to Laravee and I look it up and I was like, this is a really nice guitar. It's like a $1,200 guitar. You know, if you could get it for, I think he said it was $200. He was going to, I was like, you, you could, that would be a great deal. Yeah. I, I, I highly recommend you take, you get it. So then I, and I put new strings on it just so I could play it, make sure it was all sounded good. And I was like, everything's great. The pickup works. It's It's a great guitar. So then I hand it back to him and he goes, it's yours. And I was like, huh? <laughs> I hadn't told anybody I needed a guitar. Um, and it was great. It was a huge blessing. Uh, Pastor Gary has always, always been a very generous, very giving person. So kind of cool. Kind of neat. God just meeting, meeting needs. Um, all right. So what else do I want to talk about? The, um, um, oh, oh, in case you're wondering about Rick Warren, uh, the only exegesis that you see, and, you, know, you might be like, but there's an interview with Christianity Today where he talks about his reasons. Like they're super vague and very squishy. <laughs> um, but I've already dealt with that in my series. Okay. Andy Woods, his, his replacement pastor, um, did a study where he talked about this and I did watch that and it had, it was a number of reasons I could give you a long list of why I would say this was not good. Um, including his w- weird definitions of terms that you're like, this feels like you're making up new meanings for words just to suit your scenario. At any rate, this does not mean Rick Warren's not a brother, not beloved in the Lord. It doesn't mean that uh, that uh, Saddleback is like, well, they're apostate now. And none, and I'm not saying none of that. None of that. I think they're on the wrong side of this issue. And then they're using, they, I should say, Rick Warren's using a lot of rhetoric that is causing even more problems that um, is just going to continue to stir up more and more rhetoric. Because you know how many people are going to echo him and quote him. And I've tried to avoid this in my series. I could use all kinds of rhetoric, like you're destroying families, you egalitarians. Like, why? Well, I'm never going to say that, you know, even though I think egalitarian views has an imp- a real impact on marriages that is not biblical, even though sometimes it actually, to be honest, sometimes that, that impact can be corrective because someone else didn't just have a complementarian view of marriage. They had a, I'm going to be a jerk and rule the world view of marriage, right? Which is not a biblical view. Um, all right. Anyway, let's talk about this AI service in Germany. Um, Babazi Guma says, what is your love story with your wife? Oh, I guess that'd be a longer, that'd be a long story. Maybe I'll share that for next time. I do one of these, um, we'll tell some of that story. Um, but, uh, what was I saying? Oh yeah. AI service in Germany, in Germany. So in Germany, there was a, a, a church that gathered together with like, I think it was like 300 people or something. There's a, there was a news article about it. You could just type up AI church service in Germany. You'll see it. And they, um, they, uh, had the, the service like 98% or something like that. 96% was, was written by an AI and it may have been performed by an AI. The article, I couldn't, I, I wasn't clear on that. And they sort of did an AI church service. Now, you guys, if you follow me on Twitter, you know that I was recently saying like, pastors, you better not be using AI to write your sermons wholesale. Not that you can't use AI to do research because it can be a research tool, but to write your sermons, just copy paste from AI. Now you feel like I've got something original. No one will accuse me of plagiarizing because the AI didn't. I think that this is a major problem if if pastors start doing that and relying on that. Um, If he does it once, it's bad. If he does it continually, it's going to be a real problem. At, At any rate, what was there were two things one uh they were like well the church service was actually pretty decent as far as the text of what they said and things like that um okay if that's what you think makes a church service decent <laughs> if that's all it takes that's that's fine ai write me a love poem and yet 
my wife writing a much worse love poem would actually be much more important to me than the AI doing it. And if you can't tell the difference, then maybe you don't know. That's why you don't know why the AI church service is a problem. But what was cool was um, when they interviewed some of the people who attended the service, they were like, Ugh, this doesn't count as a service. Like, I feel like they might may not have even known what was happening. Like it was an experiment. Someone ran on them or something. I don't know. But at any rate, they said, this is not a real church service. Many of the people were, were, were very negative in their response to it. And here's all I want to say is pastors who plagiarize other people's content wholesale. Like you don't just learn from other people's, you read commentaries and you learn from them. You, you, you do research and you poll. And, and if you poll, you often, you don't always, but you often attribute who you got it from, but rather pastors who just wholesale want to pull from AI or, or, or just buy sermons online and just preach what someone else prepared. If your congregation knew you were doing that, a lot of them would respond the same way these did when, when AI, they found AI was doing their service. If you can't prepare and share a sermon, then you're, you're not, you're not, you're not there yet. Like you're not doing your job. You're just not. And so I, I know there's, there's churches where people just, they, they just wholesale, they just teach content other people prepare. Um, and this is different than even a team of, of, of teachers where they're all working together to help craft a sermon and then one of them delivers it, but they're all involved in, in interacting and stuff like that. I, I think I'd have more room for that. But if your people knew, now this should be eye-opening because if your people knew what you were doing and they would go, ooh, that doesn't count, then it should bother you that you're doing it without them knowing. I think that every pastor who copies and pastes as his primary tool of making a sermon should tell everybody that that's what he's doing. And the fact that they mostly won't is, is evidence that they know something sketchy is going on. Sketchy. I prefer a worse sermon that was, that was original um, for a number of reasons, just, be, just like I'd prefer a worse poem that was actually written by my wife. I'm not saying she, she actually is a good poet. She writes good poems, but uh, never about me. She never writes me poems. What's up with that? Babe, why don't you write me poems? <laughs> All right. Anyway, um, so let's talk about um, something else. I've been wanting to talk about this for a long time. Again, I hope you're enjoying this random chat. <laughs> Thanks guys for showing up to a weird random video. Um, I want to talk about controversial connections. So many, many of you, okay, have seen me like maybe I, I did it. I, I brought Michael Brown on to interview him or I shared something from Twitter or Facebook that he said um, in the past I've done this. And even recently I shared uh, something, a Twitter post that he did because I thought it was insightful. Um, at any rate, many of you are, are really not okay with that. Um, and let me talk, talk to you about that for a second. Um, there is... Okay, there's a zeal for the truth and a zeal for protecting the sheep that I am fully in agreement with you on. But I think where we're in disagreement here for many of those listening is while I disagree with Dr. Michael Brown, for and he's just an example here. This isn't actually about Michael Brown. It's about my general idea of, of who I partner with in any capacity or who I recommend, resources I recommend, things I point to. I don't think they need to be in full agreement with me to point to them. I really don't. And so I can give you different examples of this. I've shared Michael Heiser's work, Dr. Michael Heiser, who recently went to be with the Lord, praise God, and sad for us and wonderful for him. Um, I would share Timothy Keller's work. I don't agree with him on everything, right? Like there, here's, 
here's Michael Heiser, who some of his uh, divine counsel stuff, I'm thinking like, yeah, I, I think I could be wrong about it. I think that's wrong. I don't think that's accurate. And that's like something he camps out on a lot. But yet he also has a lot of other really cool stuff that I've actually shared in his podcast where I go, hey, this was a, this episode was really good. I wouldn't share the next episode. I wouldn't agree with it. But I shared this one because sometimes I share things as resources when yet the audience might think a lot of the audience may think I'm actually sharing things because if I share somebody's content, I am therefore endorsing them entirely. That's something I don't believe in. Okay. I don't believe that sharing one resource equals endorsing their content. An example, of this could be uh, the chosen clips. Uh, we've used Gabriel cuts who cuts together the, the shorts that we've been putting on the videos on online. Um, little real short videos. He often uses clips from The Chosen. Now, I'm not making those. I've taught the original video, but I'm not making the clips. And so he, um, he'll he use The Chosen. People think I'm endorsing the show The Chosen by using clips from The Chosen. Therefore, I'm endorsing the whole wholesale. It's a huge endorsement. And over and over again, we said in the comments, like, guys, it's not an endorsement. We're just using the clips because it helps us increase reach. That's it. Like, this is the strategy. Use clips so it's not just the talking head the whole time. It seems like it increases reach. We can have a bigger impact. Change the world, basically. I don't think the usage of a resource equals an endorsement. I don't think that, um, say, bringing Michael Brown on for one topic equals endorsing him on every topic. Um, while I, I, I love him, I think he's a great brother. I do. I don't agree with him on some of, especially the, the more uh, strong charismatic views, even though I, I would consider myself to be at least charismatic-ish. Right? And so I'm open to things like speaking in tongues, prophecy, and not just open, but 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 hopeful about those things in the church and in, in people's lives and those around me. That would be wonderful to hear those things. But I'm also, uh, I think more discernment is required biblically than what we usually see in the charismatic movement. Um, at any rate, Michael Brown's like, super controversial on those issues. Okay. He's done videos where he seems to, he brings Bill Johnson on and it, it was, I, I thought it was really bad. I thought it was be honest with you, right? I thought that was a really bad video. He brings him on. He's sort of throwing him what feels to me like softball questions. And then Bill Johnson does his sort of typical answers to those things that don't really get to the heart of many issues that are important. Granted, he, he offered for people to send in questions and people maybe didn't send in very good questions. Okay. So maybe that's part of it. Um, his initial response to the passion translation was way too supportive. Now he's really drawn that back a lot. And he's like saying it needs revision. It needs major revision. Um, as it stands, there are problems. Um, and I think even that is too soft, <laughs> but, uh, but, um, but yet Michael Brown, here's a guy who is incredibly useful on interacting with Jewish apologetics and mess, uh, bringing knowledge of the Messiah to Jewish people. And guys like Rabbi Tovia Singer, who is just constantly spreading misinformation about Christianity and trying to undermine it. His his life's mission is to destroy Christianity as much as he can. Um, then, uh, yeah, and he actually said something to that effect in a video. So that's why I say that I'm not making it up. Um, and, and, you know, his answering Jewish objections to Jesus content, he's a total, which is amazing stuff. He's a total cultural culture warrior in a good sense when it comes to the LGBT issues and all that kind of stuff. And I love him as a resource for those things, even though I would not point to him as a resource for some of those other things. When I bring Michael Brown on, I've never brought him on to promote charismatic stuff because I don't think we're not in nearly enough agreement on that stuff for me to do that. But I want, but I've never seen another resource like Jewish answers, answering Jewish objections to Jesus. I've never seen another resource that does it that good. I don't, I don't know that I don't think it exists to my knowledge. So I don't want you to miss out on the resource. My point here is, um, 
I, if you, if you're like, Mike, so are you endorsing Michael Brown? I'd be like, well, no, I endorse Michael Brown's work on Jewish objections to Jesus. I endorse the things that he often says and shares about homosexuality and those kinds of, those kinds of cultural topics and issues. Um, I do not endorse his content on the, the charismatic stuff, Bill Johnson's so far on the passion translation, although he's moved in my opinion. Okay. Just, just my two cents moved in a positive, very positive direction more recently. Although I, I don't know how much of that is, is been stated outward publicly. Um, um, so what do I, what, what do I do then? There's, there's those out there who are like, no, Mike, you can't bring him on your channel, for instance, which I haven't done in like a couple of years anyways, but I haven't interviewed anybody because I'm just dealing with this, these issues. So I'm just kind of like trying to stay as focused as I can on the main things. But, um, also reason why I'm not doing hardly any interviews at all. <laughs> Sorry if you want to interview me. I, nothing personal. I'm just turning everybody down. But um, but what would you want me to do? Like here's an incredible resource, Jewish answering Jewish objections to Jesus. Like this is like life changing for those who need it. Am I supposed to set that aside when there's nothing wrong with it as far as I know? Because in this other area where I'm not even, we're not even going to talk about that issue. There's a problem. Or Michael Heiser has this great content on this one issue Am I to, am I not allowed to share this with the body of Christ? Because if they follow the trail to his other content, there's problems. Here's how I answer that question. First off, um, the person who I'm going to bring on or the, per, the resource I'm going to, I'm going to show you, I'll show it to you. If a, the person, um, it's not their, how do I put this? Uh, their, the area where I disagree with them, where I think there's a problem is not the end of the world kind of disagreement, like false gospel, that kind of thing. B the area of disagreement is not their main focus. Like as in, they did this one good thing, but everything else they did is on this thing they're wrong about. Okay, well then I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna bring the one good thing they did because it's just too much. It's just overwhelmingly, you know, poor content that's there. Um, three, what was the other one? Um, the uh, the resource that, they, that they're offering is, is hard to find there, there there isn't a great option of a more fully rounded person who i would sort of more fully support that i don't have them as an option and so this person's giving me a resource that's just difficult for people to find these are some of the things that that i that i think through and why i would still have michael brown on my show even though i've received tons of flack like people unsubscribing people like i'll never listen to your teaching again you had michael brown on and i'm thinking well you're right i understand you've got issues with, with michael brown you know, especially when it comes to like, say, NAR stuff, things like that. And I don't fully agree probably with the person who has the issues with Michael Brown or Michael Brown on that stuff. I've just, that's the way things are. But, um, but here's the thing, like they're watching a video where he's just defending the, 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 the truth of Jesus as Messiah, as a savior of all people and answering challenges to that. And they're like, I'll never watch your content again. And that's fine. Like, I don't need people to watch my content. Like, it's not like I'm trying to build anything here other than a ministry to those who want to receive it. Okay, that's fine. But you'll understand why, at least from my perspective, even though I've I lost the respect of a bunch of people for having Michael Brown on, I think that that was the right thing to do. Because if you can casually throw off my ministry, then it's probably not that neat. It's not that needful for you. But the content that's being shared in that video, that was pretty needful, man. It's about Jesus. This is answering tough objections that as I look online, I'm like, people are really struggling with this stuff. Here's the, here's the guy to answer it. Let's bring him on and have him talk about those issues. 
So anyway, that's how I process that for those who want to know. Um, maybe we can link them to this clip <laughs> when they when they send us emails about it. I understand where you're coming from. You don't want me to endorse Michael Brown wholesale. I don't. I don't. You're just thinking that doing anything in relation to him is endorsement. And the same could be said of Michael Heiser or Michael Icona or let me throw another mic out there or um, uh, Mike, Michael Jones from Inspiring Philosophy. All the mics, man, all the mics are controversial. Like Michael Icona, I disagree with a lot actually on a lot of things, but I found he has one resource that was at least in some ways really helpful and it was difficult to find other ones that I felt like were on the same level. I feel like now I found some other stuff, so I'm not, I don't talk about his stuff as much. Um, so yeah, all of all of whom I would still consider brothers in Christ, brothers in Christ. But I have to make these judgment calls, and that's kind of how I how I do that. Um, so yeah, yeah, I, I've 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 even lost. There's there's somebody who did an interview with me for their channel, and I think it was because they saw that I was that I did a video or talked about Michael Brown or shared his post or something like that that they decided never to air that video. And um. And then that person just never, never reached out to me again online, even though we had had, I thought, very, very edifying back and forth before. Now, I'm not upset or angry. I'm just saying, I get it. I hear you. I hear how upset you are. We just have different perspectives on this. And so be it. So anyway, that's kind of my approach on that sort of thing. Um, yeah. Amy says she loves Michael Heiser. And um, yeah, he, he has a real, a real gift. Um, the way he would communicate to normal people without dumbing it down, like making it simple, but not dumbing it down was really a, a real, a rare gift, a rare gift for anybody to have, to be honest. Um, what does charismatic mean, Mike? Um, well, that's a good question. That's a good question. Um, sometimes I struggle with defining it and which is why I, I've, I've been saying sometimes, am I, am, you know, I've had charismatics tell me you're not really charismatic, Mike. And others were like, no, you're charismatic. Um, it, it maybe it depends on how high do you expect the frequency of the gifts to be in the local church? And there's a certain point where it's like you become charismatic <laughs> and below that, maybe you're, maybe you're more Pentecostal. Um, you're, you're more, you know, believing in the gifts, but maybe they would say you're not charismatic officially. I, I don't know outside my own little circle, right? Worldwide. I'm not sure if the wider world would, would consider me that or not. Good question. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's um, talk about the next thing. Um, oh, Arkham says uh, Heiser is still putting out new videos even months after his death. Uh, great mind. Yeah. Yeah. They're gonna they're gonna keep pushing his content out and sharing it and stuff like that. And uh, again, here, here's amazing resource. Also mixed bag in my in my personal opinion. Okay. So I how do I use it selectively? So you selectively using someone's content does not mean endorsing them. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. All right, let's talk about um, a funny tweet. <laughs> okay, so here's, here's, um, well, I thought it was funny. We'll see what you think. All right, so th this was a, uh, a, tw a tweet I did um, that, that this wasn't funny at all. Okay, the funny part comes in a minute. This is actually pretty, pretty sad. But this, this tweet was where, you know, Biden put up the, uh, the, the pride flag on the white house. And then he posted about it online. He says today, the people's house, your house sends a clear message to the country and to the world. America is a nation of pride. Okay. But pride doesn't mean pride here. Exactly. Pride means America is a nation that will affirm the ideology 
of LGBTQ+. Um, that's what that means. And that ideology is wrong on many levels because many levels because the LGBT are, are not the same thing at all. Neither is the Q, neither is the plus. And so there's a lot of weird things going on there, but it's basically what they all have in common is a rejection of the truth of human sexuality, a rejection of the truth and the morality of human sexuality. That's the one thing they all have in common. Well, this, you know, if you can see from my tweet, oh, hold on, I'm not on your screen anymore. I'll fix that. I'll fix that. There we go. No. Yes. Yeah, that worked. Um, so the the thing is, the you know, when it, whether it comes to make our cake or go to prison, um, or or if it comes to like tweet something where you don't agree with us and lose your job or refuse to to put our flag on your back and you get kicked off your team or or you name it um don't support transing kids then we're going to we're going to say that you're causing a transgenocide and we're going to call you nazis um this type of thing is becoming more normal and it, it represents the that's in to, to a lot of us that's what the flag represents oh okay thanks sarah i i, I got it um that's what the flag represents to a lot of people. This flag, where is it? It's over here. I'll point this way. Even though it's, for me, it's over there. This flag over here represents um, an oppressive ideology. It's, it's, the ideology is it's not true. It's not healthy. It's not moral. It's not compassionate and loving like it pretends to be, but it's also oppressive to people. And so I put up this, this, this tweet. One flag to rule them all. One flag to find them. One flag to bring them all and in the darkness bind them in the land of Washington where the shadows lie. I thought it was very appropriate. I thought it was entirely appropriate. I thought it was just saying, hey, look, this is not only untrue, it is it is oppressive when it becomes national ideology enforced by the government, which is in some senses more and more what it's become. So then so, somebody sent me this picture, which came, This is here's the funny part. That's not funny at all. That's just sad. That's the reality of our situation. So preach the gospel, stand firm on truth. Don't you dare despair. Don't you dare despair because one of the biggest lies is thinking, oh, it's a losing battle. We're always going to lose. We just have to be okay with that. Um, I don't even know what that means. Uh, you stand for truth. You hold up to truth. And that's it. That's all that matters. So someone posted this. Um which is a, a t-shirt that's also Lord of the Rings. The first quote was Lord of the Rings. It, it's about the ring of power, this horribly oppressive device, right? That's meant to uh, trick people and then take over. So I felt like that was appropriate. But here's a shirt where somebody has their pronouns printed in the form of the, the, the ring, the one ring to rule them all. <laughs> their pronouns. So you've got... It says she, her hobbit. So the person who bought this shirt wanted she, her hobbit. I guess you could probably put they, them, or Zimzer or something like that on the shirt as well. Um, but it's so funny that somebody's openly and intentionally writing pronouns and affirmations in the form of the ring, which was exactly what I was saying. So like, it's not even being hidden. It's like, yeah, <laughs> one, one flag to rule them all and in the darkness bind them. Um, okay, so funny, but terrible funny at the same time it's kind of all of the above um so yeah i don't know if you guys noticed that so if, if you're interested you guys can follow on twitter i, I don't uh, i'm not trying it's not like meant to be a twitter plug but if you are looking for where i put more content like casual stuff i post um i do on facebook occasionally on youtube in the community 
section and more often on Twitter. But there's also we're also on some other places too, TikTok and stuff. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, did I bug you? I think she actually doesn't like the camera being on her. Huh? Yeah. Hey, Muff. So, I do have a number of nicknames for the cat. Muffin. Potato. Um, fish face. My wife calls her fish face. Because her breath stinks. <laughs> Other things. Poof. You guys know how it is. So, okay. What else do we got to talk about? Um, Fred, Fred, Fred. Let me talk about Fred, Fred, Fred. Um, I don't know if you guys like this. We, we could do more streams like this. Again, let me know if this is something that you, you find interesting and thoughtful. Like, I'm not doing q and I did not prepare notes for the things I'm talking about. I, I just have, like, kind of a list of random topics that I'm like, it'd be cool to talk about this, but I don't want to spend the time it takes to make a thoughtful video. <laughs> so here's my just winging it. Maybe I'll just wing it more in the future. At any rate, um, Fred, 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 what is this? Well, uh, Fred Sanders is a Trinitarian theologian and a really funny guy as well, um, although half his jokes go over my head. But he um, had an article. Let me share it to you, to you guys here. Okay, I know you can't see me. I have to fix that each time here. Okay, he shared an article about a, how Trinitarian analogies are... Um, a conceptual tool and something that you can use to understand the Trinity better. And so I've been thinking kind of about this for a while myself too. And I thought this was kind of cool. He shared it. The reason why I said Fred, Fred, Fred is because his website is fredfredfred.com. Okay. So he's, he's a, he's a theologian and he focuses on the Trinity and fredfredfred.com. And think about that. This is why I like his sense of humor. There's three Freds and he focuses on the Trinity. Okay. He's not saying he's the Trinity. He's just anyway, funny. So usually I would think about, um, and this is how I used to be, I would always think about and Trinitarian analogies as something to avoid because they're just bad. They're just bad and they're always wrong. And you, you think you've got a good analogy, but you're wrong. But there's another way to look at it. And he talks about this here. And apparently this was uh, Augustine's view, um, is that the analogies can be a useful tool for helping people understand the Trinity. And I realized that's how we use it all the time. Often when you're, when you're warning people away from analogies, you go through the analogies to explain where they each fall short so that they don't use analogies for the Trinity. But wait a minute, we just used analogies to explain the Trinity by way of comparison and contrast, not just by way of them being the same. So uh, here's a, an example of this, the shamrock, you could say, well, the shamrock represents the Trinity. You got the three leaves, but it's one shamrock. Okay, but that's true. Like you, you could sense there's like a sameness amongst the Father, Son, and the Spirit that you can see when you use the shamrock as an analogy. So then you're like, oh, that's helpful. But it could imply that God is one third, or each each member of the Trinity is one third of God. And when you combine them, you get God. So that if you pulled one leaf off the shamrock, you don't have a shamrock anymore. You have a leaf. Okay, so then Jesus is one third, one element of God, but Jesus isn't God. It's because you have to combine all three. The father isn't God. You have to combine all three. So that's a problem. We don't want to say that God is divided into three parts and, set, and and who get combined, like the Power Rangers, into the one being. Is it the Power Rangers that turn into one giant thing? I can't remember anymore. It's too long ago. Um, or others say, well, how about an egg? The Trinity's like an egg. And now, now I just helped you, though, didn't I? I helped you avoid a false understanding of the Trinity, and I used an analogy to do it. So the Trinity's like an egg, some say. Um, the egg has the shell and the egg and the egg yolk and then the white stuff, which I think we just call white, which is a weird term to use for like 
uh, a noun <laughs> like that. I guess it's a noun. I don't know. It just feels like it's a color, not a substance. Anyway, so uh, the egg, the the shell, the yolk, and the white. And so you go, it's like the shell could be like the sun, maybe because he's like God with skin or something. And then you've got um, you've got the white, which could be like the Holy Spirit. Okay, more ethereal feeling. You got the yolk, which would be like the Father, and he's like sort of the sending one or something like that. The problem with this is that you can it can result in again like the shamrock god has three parts you combine they become an egg but it can also result in alternately like tritheism where if you don't if you say no no they're all god you could have three separate gods combined to make sort of like a, a tri god um whereas, whereas the trinity is affirming three persons but one god there aren't three gods there's just one person monotheism is the bedrock of the trinity and the personhoods of the father son and spirit is is is, is the rest of it basically so you have the Father who is God, you have the Son who's God, the Spirit who's God, but you only have one God. You, do you have a hard time understanding that? Fine. You're trying to understand the nature of God, okay? It's okay that you don't understand it. It's okay that you don't fully grasp it, but you can at least understand those truth statements. The Father's God, the Son is God, the Spirit is God, but there's only one God. Right? Those are truth statements we can make. Um, so some say, okay, what about uh, water? Water is liquid, vapor, and ice. It has these three forms right? Liquid vapor and ice. So the, the sun, the spirit, the father, they're like these, these three forms of water. So you go, ah, oh, but they're all H2O. They're all water. So I like this because it gets the idea that, that when you, when you separate the, the, the water, the liquid, the vapor, they're all H2O still. So they can all properly be called water. Unlike say a shamrock or an egg, you can't take the shell of an egg and say, that's an egg. You can't do that, but you can do that with water, vapor, and ice. So that's helpful. But the problem is this leads towards something called modalism, right? Where you've got water that's frozen that you melt and then it becomes liquid and then you cook it and it becomes steam, vapor. So you could have the father who becomes the son, who becomes the spirit. That's modalism, Patrick. Like you don't want to, you don't want to go down that road. So yeah, there's other ones too. One man can be a husband, a father. And a son. He's one man, just like there's one God, but he's he could be a father, a son, a husband, just like there's the father, the son, and the spirit. Okay. I like that. That feels good for other purposes. It shows that God is relates to us in different ways, that the son does relate to us in different ways than the father does. The spirit relates to us in different ways than this than the son and the father. And that, that's that's kind of cool to think about it like that. Like I feel I have a more intimate relationship with God, or I should say a more aware a greater awareness of my intimate and different relationship with God different aspects of my relationship with God. When I think about the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, and how they relate to me in different ways, that's kind of exciting. You know, the, the indwelling versus the one who, who who took my sins upon himself versus the one who gave his own son, right? The, these are differences. Um, but the problem with, with that is, again, it's modalism because it's the same guy who is just in the mode of, I'm a father to you, but over to you, I'm a, to, uh, to you, dad, I'm a son, and to you, I'm a husband. So that can feel like modalism. So all of these fall short. Um, some say, well, the human, okay, has, is body, mind, spirit. And of course, that separates God into parts that collectively make make him God, but aren't individually God as well. And so that's, that's different. Um, all of these things are helpful and harmful. You just can't lean on them too much. So I, anyway, I thought it was a cool article. Um, he doesn't get into a lot of detail. He doesn't talk about the analogies I talked about. But uh, but yeah, that's from Fred Sanders and... Uh, um, Let's uh, talk about Jeopardy for a second. <laughs> this, is, this might be my, my last. This is probably my last thing I'll talk about before before uh, leaving. Unless there's unless I see something in the chat that grabs my eye. Um, so, um, 
Jeopardy, there was a Jeopardy, I think it was last night on Jeopardy. I don't watch Jeopardy. I just saw this clip of it on Twitter where the contestants were asked a question or given an answer. You know how Jeopardy is. They get an answer and then they have to give the question that produces the answer. So the, the answer was something like, um, oh, hold on. I, I got a picture of it on my phone. Let me grab it. I can probably put it up for you guys to see it. This was the answer. Let's see if the autofocus grabs that. Ah, Matthew 6, 9 says, Our Father which art in heaven, this be thy name. This be thy name. Now, how many of you immediately know the answer to that, right? What is hallowed or hallowed? Three contestants on Jeopardy, which are always people that are way smarter than me, at least when it comes to knowing random stuff, like they're amazing. Like these people are just, I, their memories are crazy. I don't have a memory like that. You might think I do. I have to work really hard to remember the stuff I need to remember and everything else is gone. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, the, um, the Jeopardy contestants, all three of them didn't even have a clue. The time ran out and the, and the host just answered it for them and told them, told them the question, you know, what is Hollywood? That seems pretty sad, <laughs> to be honest. That seemed pretty sad um, that there isn't wasn't even that awareness. Uh, that's just you know part of our culture changing and shifting, and it, we're going to get more and more of that. Um, part of the bright side of this is that when you do go witness to people as time rolls forward, they're going to have such little background about Christianity that you're going to be able to approach them almost like Christianity is a blank slate. They may have some prejudices. They may have a few things they've heard here and there that kind of dis dispose them against it. But it won't be like sort of the, the complaint of those witnessing, say, in the Bible Belt is that they would often be sharing with people who are nominal Christians. They know they, they know the answer to this question from Jeopardy, but there's no real true commitment to Jesus Christ. Like they just have a cultural Christianity. And while, hey, cultural Christianity is better than nothing, it doesn't save you. And it might actually make you immune to the gospel because you feel like you know it all. And you don't need that. Uh, you've already got that. Uh, but you'll never really evaluate what Jesus said and apply it to your life carefully because you have a you have a experience that filters it for you. You, you have a version of Christianity that's just so watered down. Um, but in witnessing to people who, who know very little about Christianity, somehow I feel like there's an open door that's there. And so I'm, I'm you know, it's discouraging and encouraging at the same time. Yeah, I, th I think that would be interesting. Um, yeah. All right. Let me, I'm looking at your guys chat here for a second. Uh, love the one ring, Mike. <laughs> yeah, that was funny. That was a funny, funny picture. Uh, what is hallowed? It just means holy. Um, Cassandra asks, it just means holy. Like, you know, when something's considered holy, so holy is your name is, is most modern English translations say holy is your name. They were quoting the King James version. So that's why it said hallowed there. Yeah. God's name is holy. That, that, that's all it's saying. It's, it's a way of getting, giving honor to God. In the beginning of my prayers, I'm like, Lord, you're my, you're my father in heaven. Holy is your name. That's a beautiful, beautiful way to start your prayers. Yeah. So, uh, uh, Daniel G noticed the Lutheran satire reference. Yep. That's right. You guys could look up Lutheran satire, um, their video on, um, St. Patrick. That's modalism, Patrick. Um, let's see. Uh, Erica Hughes says, Mike, I heard you're writing a book. Can you give us some details on it? <sighs> Next question. Darren Piles Plies says, uh, it's like na nailing jello to a wall. Oh, I guess I don't know what that one's about. Yeah. 
cool, man. Do do you and oh, no, I'm not going to answer that question either. <laughs> Sorry. Um, what do you think about Lutheran's view on predestination? Oh, that's, that's too deep for the moment. <laughs> Way too deep for the moment. Yeah. Will you ever do music anymore? Christian Warren says, will you ever do music anymore? So here's the problem, Christian. Um, um, there's two things, actually. One is, on my preview of the stream, I look pasty white right now. But it's not like that in my software. So do you guys see me like, like my forehead's almost like a piece of paper, like it was really white. Oh, it's calming down now. What was that? It still doesn't look like the video I'm actually sending YouTube. It's like they're doing something to it that's weird. Um, will I do more music? Um, I, you know, I doubt it. I doubt it. I think I think my days of like trying to like record music. I recorded music in 2006. That was a while ago. Um, even the even then the songs felt a little bit dated because they were like my older songs. Um, I have a lot of other songs people have never heard or people online have never heard anyways, but they're not that great, <laughs> to be honest. Um, I just wrote songs here and there. Um, you know, people are welcome to play them and sing them and I don't care about copyright issues. They can do what they want with them. But, um, but I don't think I'll do more. I think, and I have thought this for a long time is that I did worship stuff because A, I just wanted to on my own. I just wanted to worship more outside of church even. So I'd learn guitar so I could do that. But I did worship in church because there wasn't someone better around to do it uh, most of the time. And so I ended up doing and leading and, and stuff like that. Not because it's something I'm great at. Not because it's really a, a focus or a gift. Just, oh, my skin is fine. Well, thank you. Thank you for that, Sarah. Thank you. My skin is fine. You're yellow. Daniel says I'm a yellow man. Okay. Um, so uh, I look tannish. I'm not really, I don't, I don't know if I'm tan right now or not. At any rate. Um, I don't think I'll be doing much more music. Um, because I don't regularly lead worship anymore, I'm so out of practice with singing that, and singing is the thing where like I'd really work hard to try to learn how to sing good or decent at least. And, um, uh, I would have to work a lot to get there. So that's just the reality of it. <laughs> so there you go. All right. Well, you guys look, this has been my eight year anniversary stream. I'm really grateful for you to join me. I can't believe how many people even came to this. I thought people are going to think this streams, they're going to be like disappointed when they click on it and think this wasn't really very interesting. I thought you were going to do a Q&A. I thought you were going to do a specific topic and stuff like that. And so I, I put like probably not the video for you in the, in the thumbnail just so that nobody would feel like they were ripped off. So they would come with no expectations, but, but, um, but sure enough, like you guys really showed up for it. If you like this and you want more of these sort of casual things, I did try to bring things that I thought would benefit you, interest you and stuff that I just don't want to spend hours and hours and hours making a, a, a full video on, but maybe like more casually talk about it in a chat, in a just winging it video. Maybe we'll do more of that in the future. You guys can let me know by liking this video. I mean, that's one way to send me a signal that lets me know that this is something that, uh, that you'd be interested in. But other than that. Yeah. What does the shirt say? Sato KK says, it says this, I'm not procrastinating. I'm doing side quests. Yep. <laughs> there you go. There you go. That's what this video is. This is a side quest. But speaking of which, I have to get back to work. Um, I am currently gathering translations throughout time and how they handled 1 Timothy 2.12, specifically the word authentane, because that word authentane, uh, it... There's a, there's egalitarians who claim that it was translated consistently in a negative way, like domineer, like I, I would not, I do not allow a woman to teach or domineer over a man. 
There's others who say that's not actually accurate. It's more commonly translated something that's more neutral, like have authority. And then over here, egalitarians go, oh, yeah, but like Linda Belleville says, since the 1930s, this word has been translated. The translations have been, in her words, manipulated, right? Due to what? Due to like patriarchal men who wanted, uh, patriarchalists who wanted to like make sure that women couldn't have authority rather than just women not domineering or being abusive. Um, and so I've been gathering tons of translations throughout time, checking them, including Latin and Gothic, Gothic translation. That was why I was looking up all these Gothic words. Some people helped me on Twitter, answer some questions about that, looking up German Gothic dictionaries and all that kind of thing. And uh, that was very helpful. Um, you guys can check out my Twitter if you want to see that, but uh, it, trust me, you won't find it very interesting. <laughs> I find it interesting. I'll try to make it interesting to you when I finally teach all this stuff. I still have a mountain of work to do on First Timothy 2 before I'm finished and ready to teach it. It will be the most researched video in this series of videos I've done on this topic. And I think it will stand the test of time. Um, we'll see. Um, surely there will be some egalitarians who are like, oh, Mike, you can ignore him because of this. And, and they'll ignore me. But I think that... Um, the more I've studied this, t this topic of women in ministry, the more and more I've become convinced that the scripture is not just complementarian, but that it's clear. It's clear that this is not something that should be debated. Okay, I'm, I'm not, that's going to be taken as an insult, right? Like I'm saying, uh, you're dumb if you're egalitarian. No, you may be brilliant. I just think you're not following the clear teaching of scripture here. And when I've listened to all these egalitarian arguments, to try to say, well, it means this, and it could mean that, it could mean that. It's not that there's no merits anywhere in the arguments, but as a whole, they're not merit. They don't merit much. Um, um, so it seems the Bible seems unavoidably complementarian. Now, this means to me that Bible teaching and Bible-focused people will always end up having a significant number of complementarians among them. It's just going to keep happening. There's going to be women who are pastors, who are leading churches, who study these passages and go, I just looked at this more deeply and I realized I, I can't, I can't sustain my own views on this anymore. It's just going to keep happening because the text is the thing that's going to dominate the church as long as the church is focused on scripture. And, um, that's a good thing. So, all right, y'all, that, that's about it. Let me, uh, let me pray with you and we'll, we'll end it. Father, thank you so much for these uh, eight years of, of this online ministry and for opening the doors. God, this has been all your work. Um, even 20 years ago, if I tried to do it, there wouldn't have been a platform to do it on. Um, if I tried 20 years earlier, there wouldn't have been the existence of the, the, the network online that would have allowed this to happen. Um, if I tried it later, who knows what would have happened? It's just been your sovereignty and your ordination. And we just thank you so much for the years of ministry. Pray for many, many more. We pray that you would give me great wisdom to understand what direction to go with Bible Thinker and with the online teaching, what topics, what subjects, what what series, what um, Bible books to teach. And we just pray for many years of your holy word being exalted and getting really embedded into the hearts and minds of people, people getting saved, people coming to Jesus because of it, and people becoming more and more biblically grounded and learning how to think biblically about everything. May you guard us and protect this ministry. May you be over it. May you be exalted in it. And may you keep me and Bible Thinker from stepping into things that will turn into huge mistakes in the future. We pray for that too. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right.
Okay, so here's a test of my software. What should happen right now is I'm going to hit in stream and it should end right when I click it. Okay. Um, 